Well, almost every week that I uh, get ready to go up on stage, somebody will say, hey, Brandon, are you ready? Uh, Meaning like, hey, did you spend any time preparing this week, I guess is what they mean. I'm not sure. Uh, But I always love to be able to respond, hey, I stay ready to have to keep from getting ready. And the idea comes from 1 Peter chapter 3. And uh, in verse 15, we are as believers in Christ supposed to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ meaning that we should be able to have a response. Or for those of you that uh, you're really strong in your faith, you ought to kind of have like a little testimony, a little devotional, or what I would call a message, just kind of right there in your back pocket. Meaning that at any opportunity that is given to you to speak on behalf of who God is, that you would be prepared to do so. Or that if you have friends who are skeptical about the faith, they're kind of wondering about who God is. Is he really kind? Is he really benevolent? Is he able to walk with us through the midst of difficult times. You ought to be able to point them in the right direction. And so the purpose of this series called At the Ready is to help us be ready to move at a moment's notice, to be ready and equipped not only with God's word, but also with a response that seems to be more than what you might have learned. I don't know. I just believe it this way because I've always been taught that way. And so for many of us, particularly in my age group and below, uh, those of us that you would consider millennials, uh, quite frankly, many of you would consider to be kind of pains in the you-know-what, right? Rear. Well, the bottom line is, is that we want answers. We want solid answers to questions in our world, and we ought to be able to give that. And so today, we're going to deal with one topic that is especially difficult And that is, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? I mean, think about it. Uh, Just this last week, on Monday, we uh, remembered 16 years uh, since the tragedy in New York City as uh, terrorists ambushed uh, planes and they uh, put them into towers, not only there, but also uh, into the Pentagon. And we remember that. And we remember asking God, why do you allow this to happen, God, if you're so good? Then we look back just uh, in our own church. I think about the numerous people that we have counseled through difficult situations, through evil and suffering, some things that were just, in a sense, out of our control like infants that were born as stillborns, Um, infants that uh, died very early on uh, in their life, and uh, even toddlers. Uh, We we talk about seeing adults who um, have struggled and suffered an early death in their 40s. And we wonder, God, why is it that you took a man who seemed to love you so much so early? And we look at all of those things and we realize that there's, there's sense a, a sense of moral evil that we all contribute to because of our life, because of the uh, impurity in our bloodlines. The more and more we sin, the more impure we become, we realize that there is a, a certain sense of evil that happens and it's communal. But there are also things that we, we just don't understand. Like we can understand that sickness and disease do take people, though we don't understand why and how young. But we don't understand oftentimes, God, why do you allow things like in April, tornadoes to ravage an entire county? God, why do you allow a hurricane to decimate the Texas coast? God, why just within a span of a couple weeks do you allow another one to come and decimate parts of Florida? Like, God, where are you? Do you you exist? I mean, are you with us? And that's a question a lot of people wonder. Matter of fact, you might even have somebody pose you this question, do you believe in evil? And you would say, 
Okay, so uh, that's not a rhetorical question. Let me ask you again, okay? Do you believe in evil? Yes, we would say absolutely. And then they would come at you and they would say this. If you believe in evil, then that must mean something about your God. And they say it either means that your God is not good or it means that he's not powerful. Because if God is good, then obviously he would stop evil in an instant. And if you would say God is loving and good and he could stop it, then it must be that your God is just not powerful enough to do so. And as you start looking at that and you begin to address these issues about suffering, I think you need to understand a little bit about a Christian worldview, but also how we respond. And so as we dive into this today, this is for all of us in here. Maybe you're a skeptic and you go, I don't know if God exists. I I do think there's too much evil and suffering in the world, and I'm not really sure why it's there if God is good and he's powerful. Or maybe you're here and you go, if I was asked that question today, I would have no idea how to answer it. Well, I hope that we give you uh, enough information to help you either way, whatever side of the table that you're on. But I think it's really important for you to understand, in a sense, just a Christian worldview as we dive in. And here it is. Evil is definitely a fact in our world, okay? Uh, It is happening all around us. Another fact is that God is good, that he is good in the midst of it, that evil is because of rebellion, And because of that rebellion, we realize that evil is not co-equal with good. They don't mix, they don't jive, and it doesn't coexist with good. And so I think it's really important that you understand that Jesus wept at suffering, that Jesus died for suffering, that he was resurrected to overcome suffering. And so because of what Jesus did, we too can, listen, understand that there is evil, but also understand that we in our own lives are mixed with evil, that we could acknowledge evil, that we could struggle with evil. Even in our own humanity, you struggle with evil, but also to be redeemed by evil and that there is a purpose and a plan. And so today we're gonna show you a couple of things. Actually, I'm gonna show you three. I wanna show you, number one, the origin of evil. Where did it come from? If there is evil and we know it's an absolute, uh, we know that's a fact of our Christian life. Where did it come from? The second thing is, is to help us understand that there could be potentially a purpose in the midst of evil. And then the last thing is that, that evil could be limited. And I hope that today that gives you enough information to kind of leave out of here, in a sense, with some confident assertions and answers, uh, but also to help you be able to give an, an answer to the hope that we have in Christ. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to continue in, and we're going to address these three things in relation to evil and suffering. God, we love you, and we thank you for your word. God, we pray that you would uh, wake us, Lord, to this topic. God, help us to understand who you are and what you are doing in our midst. God, help us to look around our world and not be afraid. God, to realize that there's a purpose and a plan in the midst of all of it. And God, I would be the first to admit that I don't understand everything that happens in my life. I don't understand everything that's happening around us, even right now on this planet called Earth. God, but I do know that in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, you tell us to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and to lean not on our own understanding, but all our ways acknowledge you that you may make our path straight. And so, God, as we dive into such a difficult topic today, I just want to concede the fact that, Lord, I know that we don't know you, that your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are much higher than our thoughts. God, would you just help us 
by the power of your spirit to get a grasp on such a topic through the basis of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. And so let's just kind of address this. I mean, you, you think about uh, just the origin evil. And so uh, and I think that's really the question that you have to ask. If, if someone was to say, if you believe in evil, then that says something about your God. I think you need to be able to first understand that the only way it can't say something about your God is if it didn't originate with God. And so if evil originated with God, then obviously we all have a problem. And here's why I want you to understand this. If, in fact, evil did originate with God, we have a huge dilemma. And this is one I think that, in a sense, throws a little bit of a wrench in, say, an atheist or agnostic uh, assertion that evil comes from God. And the reason why is this. Uh, I'll touch on it in a couple of weeks when we're going to look at uh, Darwinism and we're going to look at the Big Bang uh, theory and we're going to try to kind of see that versus creationism. But I want you to realize something, okay? Most of the people who ask the question, if God is good, why does he allow evil? Did evil originate with God? Because if God is good and he doesn't stop evil, then he must evil. Or if he created all things, he must create evil. I think the thing that they're not thinking through is their own belief system. For instance, for those that would say that they believe in a big bang um, and, and ultimately all things derived after one piece of matter and all things in a sense intertwine, and they would believe in the, the notion of what most people call Darwinism, then that also would mean that you don't really care where evil and suffering come from. And matter of fact, think about this. Most of the people who struggle with God being kind and benevolent want good in our world. But I want you to step back and I want you to ask yourself something. If you would believe that God didn't have anything to do with creation and that it all just derived out of one piece of matter, then that would also mean that you have to be in favor of natural selection. And natural selection also brings about what? Dog eat dog, the survival of the fittest, the one who can adapt the fastest, the one who could be the strongest ultimately wins. And the one who's stronger and faster, they ultimately what? Eat the one that is smaller and slower. Got it? The one who is a quicker thinker ultimately always overcomes the one who's the slow thinker. And that's what natural selection would actually encourage. The crazy thing is, is that oftentimes we think, oh, well, there can't be a God because there's evil and suffering in the world. But at the same time, we want good in humanity. But there cannot be good in humanity without God. Every time you look at good, it has to bring you back to something. And I want to just tell, help you understand something. If there is not an original creator and there is not one who is divine, there cannot be good. If all things are derived from matter and matter alone, then you cannot get upset because someone comes and murders you because that makes them stronger and because it allows them more power. Do you understand that? I want you to wrap your head around that for just a second because you can't have both. You can't say, I believe that God does not exist or that he's not powerful, that he's not evil, and we must have come from something like Darwinism and at the same time decide that at some point in your life you still want good because you don't get good from Darwinism, you get good from God. 
And I think we could end right there and your mind would be blown, but we're going to continue on, okay? And the reason why is because if there is an origin of evil and it couldn't come from a good God because God wouldn't be good, then where did it come from? And I want you to see that it comes from ultimately two places. One, a lot of times you hear it referred to the fall of Satan. So you have the fall of Satan. And really, I, I wouldn't say that Satan fell. I mean, he did, awfully. Uh, he conceded to sin because of his pride and his desire to be like God and ultimately to overcome God. But to be really honest with you, he really didn't fall. He was kind of pushed, okay? Um, that's really the idea in Isaiah. Uh, if you look at a couple of different places in the scriptures, you got Isaiah chapter uh, 14. And uh, through that passage, you're going to see that there is an, a morning star that's going to ultimately be pushed. He's going to be, in a sense, kicked out of heaven. Uh, because why? Heaven is a sinless place in which God exists in his goodness. There is no evil. There is no sin. There is no corruption. And so therefore, the one who sinned and ultimately brought about evil and corruption in the angelic realm had to be removed from his place within the proper aspect of angelic creation. And you go, okay, well, where else do we see that? Well, we also see in Ezekiel chapter 28. But in those two places, you can begin to look and you're gonna see an inference to the king of Tyre in uh, one of those places. And, and the king of Tyre is going to be a man who ultimately in the Old Testament would be overthrown and overcome at the hands of the Babylonians. And he would suffer a very difficult and arduous task to try to keep himself on the throne in the midst of all that was happening. But God said, I'm going to overthrow you. And just like they fell, the king of Tyre, so will this one called Lucifer. He's going to fall and he is going to suffer because of his evil. But get this, in his suffering and in his sin and in his fall, they're also brought about temptation in what? Us. They're brought about an opportunity for man to have an opportunity to fall. But I want you to realize that that fall of man didn't originate with God. Matter of fact, if you look at the, the scriptures in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, in the very beginning, you're going to get an idea of what God says about his creation. And so in verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So where God exists and where God creates, there is good. But any time that you have the opportunity to have free will and choice, you also have the opportunity for evil and suffering. Got me? And because there was an opportunity for evil and suffering, and because of the fact that God said there is obviously an opportunity there, you have the Garden of Eden. And so in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, you have a warning from God to Adam. And what is that warning? It says, the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the, eat, the day that you eat it, you will surely die. So you see there that God in his goodness originally created a world without evil. But he also says, because I create a world without evil, doesn't mean that I want to be a puppeteer on the string. I don't want to make every choice for humanity. And after all, why would I ever want to have creation that had no opportunity to love me? That they were just programmed in a sense to love me. And see, that's what God desires from us. God desires for us in this room to love him. To not be programmed, to not be puppeteered into being orchestrated by God to love him, but to love him. 
and to love him with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And that's what God wanted for his original creation, both in the angelic realm, but also in the human realm. But he goes, I'm not going to control that. And ultimately, I'm going to give you a choice to love me. And there were some in the angelic realm that chose to do their own thing and pride got the best of them. And then get this, because they were tempted in the garden of Eden, although God had made things very good, but given them a choice ultimately to choose God or to choose something else, they chose something else. And then evil entered into the picture. And in Genesis chapter three, look at verses 17 through 19. And then to Adam, he says, after they had taken a bite of the cursed fruit, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you shall not eat of, curse the ground because of you. And in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it where you were taken for uh, you are dust and to dust you shall return. And so here it is. You see the origination of evil. It did not originate with God. It originated with his creation. And his creation had a choice to either love God or to love themselves. And unfortunately, because of the evil and the suffering in our world, we love ourselves. And as we love ourselves, get this, everything in this world spirals downward. And as it spirals downward, We have more and more things that we cannot understand, that we cannot seem to um, find an answer for. We can't seem to stop things that are happening, but they're all a part of what happened in the beginning. But here's the good news. The good news is that even even though there is evil in our world, and we would all agree to it, and now we would see ultimately a great way to Uh, in a sense, give an answer for where evil came from, I want you to see, I think, two really awesome things about who God is, even though evil exists in our world. And number one is that there could be a purpose for evil. Now, this is really hard to understand, but I hope that I'll give you a little bit of a grasp of it as we dive in. And so, really, what is the purpose of evil? Well, if you remember Job, I mean, think about Job. Job thought that he shouldn't suffer evil because he was good. And God said, I can't agree with that. But at the same time, you've got a guy like Elihu and, and then also Job's friends. And what do they say? They say, well, Job, because you're sinning, uh, you are experiencing evil. And God says, well, I don't have to agree with that either. And matter of fact, at the very end, God is going to require Job to make a sacrifice because of his friend's error. And so what this says is that just because you and I experience evil and suffering in the world doesn't mean that you suffer evil because you're bad. And it doesn't mean that you get a free pass because you're good. The bottom line is, is that in this time and place, we know from the gospels that God allows it to rain on the just and the unjust. That means that the evil farmer gets rain oftentimes more than the good farmer gets rain. And we wonder about that. Like, God, why do you allow such good things to happen to bad people? And why, God, does so many bad things happen to good people? That is a great question in all of this. But I want you to see what God is doing in the midst of all this as we look at the purpose of evil. Number one, the purpose of evil gives God an opportunity to represent himself. Now, you will wonder, well, what in the world do you mean by that? God, an opportunity to represent himself? Well, think about it. Before sin, God was just God. 
And Adam and Eve, they thought, oh, hey, God is a God, kind and he's a benevolent God. I mean, he's created this, this place for us and he's given us food to eat and he seems to be kind. I mean, we were able to talk with him and interact with him, but they don't really see a power, his power manifested. They just see God as God. They think, oh, this is just a, a benevolent, kind guy. It's almost like the big guy upstairs. But think about this. When evil and suffering came into the world, what do you get to see about God? You now get to see God's power displayed. But if out, without evil, you don't get to see God as good. I mean, think about it. If there is no evil, then how do you define good? And you don't see the goodness of God until you see him deal with the evil in the world. Like, you don't get to see what God is doing until you realize that there's, in a sense, an epic battle taking place. You got this? So think about all the things that are good about God that he represents himself in. I mean, he's forgiving, isn't he? He says, I'm also a just God, that in the end, I'm going to take care. I'm going to punish evil. He's merciful. He's a God that in the midst of evil, he redeems things. He's a redemptive God. You think about it, he gives rebirth in the midst of evil. He gives hope in the midst of evil. So like God is making himself known as a representation even in the midst of all the hurt and suffering and all the pain in the world. Like God is showing that he could still be good. But he doesn't just give a representation uh, of himself through all that, but he also does it through his comfort. I mean, think about this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verses 3 and 4. I'll put them for you up on the screen. And it just says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction. Look at that. In the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your hurt, in the midst of your affliction, God comforts us. Why? So that he can manifest himself not only in his power, but also through his church. Why? Look at the latter part of this verse, the responsibility. God doesn't just comfort you just to show you that he's good. He comforts you so that you could take his goodness and show it to other people. And so there it is, that he comforts you in your afflictions that you may be able to comfort those who are in affliction as well with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So God is not just a representation to us, but he's a representation through us. That's why we got to know this stuff. Because if you and I begin to fold at every time we suffer in the world, and the time that we begin to, in a sense, look like Job and go, God, why in the world are you allowing suffering and hurt in my life because I'm so good? Then guess what? You, in a sense, put yourself on a throne. And here's why. Because of dogmatic teaching styles like this, that if you're good enough, then you'll have health, wealth, prosperity, and no suffering will ever come your way. That sounds good, doesn't it? The problem is it doesn't work for most of us. The problem is, God, we live so good, and yet we suffer so much. And I don't understand that, God. But here's the deal. It's because he'll take care of it in the end. He'll limit it. But let me show you a few other things. He doesn't just give you a representation. He doesn't just use evil that way uh, to represent himself. But he also uses evil... And he actually uses it to even judge evil people. This is mind-blowing, okay? So think about this. In Habakkuk's day, Habakkuk asks the question in chapter 1, like, God, who are you, and why is there so much suffering in the world? In which he gets a response. And then he asks another set of questions, and God gives him another response. But the problem that Habakkuk saw was that, that he knew that there was a prophecy coming, that God was going to raise up people to ultimately destroy God's people. Now, 
he was going to raise up the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar to come, and he was going to mow down his own people, the Israelites. Now, you, that, that's the one to wrap your head around. This God who is good doesn't create evil. Matter of fact, we know that from the scripture that he has nothing to do with creating evil. But the bottom line is he can use it for his purposes. And so here's what he does. He, got, he has uh, the evil and suffering that's taking place not only in the world, but ultimately through the people of Israel. And they have uh, uh, idols, and they're involved in uh, pagan rituals and worship, and they're not honoring God. And so God gives them warning after warning after warning. But he says, if you're not going to listen to me, you're not going to turn from evil and do good, then guess what? I'm going to use evil to punish your evil. And he does that. And so God can use evil in that way. But listen, he doesn't just represent himself that way, but he, get this. He also uses evil to bring about good. If you remember Joseph, a guy in Genesis who was sold into slavery by his brothers, do you remember his response in, uh, in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20? He says this, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me as he spoke to his brothers. As they come to a time when they're in a famine in their land and they find refuge in Egypt, they realize who he is and he says, what you meant for evil against me, God meant for good, to bring it about the many that would be kept alive as they are today. He goes, you did something evil and you sold me into slavery and you left me for dead and you lied to dad, but I found refuge and God raised me up and he protected me and he gave me the number two spot in all the land of Egypt behind Pharaoh. And here's why. I suffered at the hands of men so that God could bring about good for a lot of humanity. And so God can allow it that way. But I'll tell you this, he doesn't just use it in the Joseph story. He uses it in the Jesus story. He takes and he punishes his son, though innocent, in every way. Though he is led as a lamb silent for his shears. He allows him to suffer the hands of evil men so that good might be brought about for all of humanity who would believe in him and ultimately be raised up through Christ. Amen? And so they're showing who God is. God can do a lot of things through evil. He can represent himself through evil. He can use evil to punish evil, or he can use evil to bring about good. He is God. He is good in his nature, and so we know that he can use it. But listen, he doesn't just use it to show himself. He can also bring evil about to refine you. Oftentimes, he allows us to suffer, sometimes at the hands of evil men, Sometimes in ways that we can't even understand. Listen, not all suffering comes at the hands of evil men. Not all suffering are we able to see refinement. I mean, think about it. Job was refined in the process. It was a very tough and strenuous time in which he lost a lot of things and you look at Job and he's trying to figure out God and we figure out a lot about God in the book of Job but he is being refined in his faith it means that he would consider it pure joy my brothers when you face what tribulations of many kind James 1 when you struggle praise God for it why because he can grow you in that he can teach you a lot about him and his character. He can show you how he's going to ultimately deal with evil in the end, how he uh, can use that for his glory and your good, although we sometimes struggle with that. I'm reminded even in the refinement process of John chapter 3, or John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, you have 
a man who was born blind. And he was walking through the town, his disciples, um, Jesus and his disciples are nearby, and the disciples asked Jesus, why is this man born this way? Is it because of his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus replies, he says, it's neither. It's so that the power of God might be displayed in his life. Listen, I want you to understand something. If God is good, and there is evil and suffering in the world, and he can do a variety of things with it, we also need to know that he can refine us. And there are some things that happen to us that we suffer in that we don't understand. Some of them ultimately could be a result of our own sin and foolishness. Now, that happens quite a bit. A lot of times we wonder, God, what in the world are you doing? I don't really understand how I am uh, got this disease, but yet we've spent a lot of time doing a lot of activities that bring about disease. At the same time, there are some things that we don't understand. When we suffer, when we've done nothing wrong and someone we love was hit by a drunk driver, when, when, when we're afflicted with something um, that we didn't seem to bring on, that's hard to understand. But would you know that even in the midst of that, that God has a plan and he wants to bring about good in your suffering, that he wants to receive much glory with the way that you handle it. Allow suffering not to be something that you run from, but allow suffering to be something that you embrace in order to make you more like Jesus. Because if you know he didn't create it, and you know he's good in the midst of it, and you know that he can do a lot of things in the midst of evil, why don't we draw near to him in the midst of it and say, God, refine me. And see, here's the deal too. In refinement... Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it brings about repentance in us. And the reason it brings about repentance in us is because sometimes in the evil and suffering that we have incurred, the evil and suffering is brought at our hands. Or it was ultimately something that we experienced. If you think about this, uh, King David would be an example of that. King David went off when uh, he should have been at war with all his comrades. As he is leading Israel, he decided he was going to go have some fun with a beautiful lady named Bathsheba. He gets her pregnant, and they ultimately lose their son. Now, we believe that he's going to see his son again based off of David's response in that, but the deal is, is he didn't get to see and understand and live with that son that potentially could have been raised up to be a a king. And the deal is, is because that was a part of his consequences. And because of what he brought on himself, he saw suffering. But you know what? That suffering led to repentance. That suffering brought about, one, uh, a word from a, a dear friend who said, David, I want you to realize what you've done and that you are in sin. But you also get a beautiful picture in Psalm 50 of his repentance. God, would you return to me the joy of your salvation? God, would you recreate in me a a desire to love you, a pure heart, oh God? That's the idea that oftentimes we could see God doing and refining and also bringing about repentance. Okay? Amen? And let me just tell you this third way that God shows himself in the midst of evil and suffering. And here's, I think, perhaps the best news, although it's very difficult for us to wrap our head around. As we look around the world, we, we, we do realize there's so much evil and suffering, but would you realize this? That if there wasn't God, and he wasn't benevolent, and he wasn't good, and he didn't limit evil, how bad it would really be? And I want you to realize that God is not just using evil for his purposes. He's not just using evil ultimately for good. 
but he also limits it. He limits it. And I'll tell you a few different things that help you understand this. I mean, because one of the questions you'll have asked is you're having a conversation with someone, and maybe you would even ask this, wouldn't we be better off if God would just get rid of evil? Like that would be, I'm like, if he just like right now, if he just got rid of it, and here's the question I would ask you, and if anybody asks you, all you got to do is say, so is it okay if we start getting rid of evil if we start with you? Because where does it begin? And that's oftentimes what we think is I want God just to get rid of evil. The problem is, is according to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, all of us have a heart that is deceitful and desperately sick. All of us in this room are evil. And there are not levels of evil. Evil is evil. There is light and there is darkness. And all of us are in darkness until God brings us to light. Now, what's interesting is, is what if God just punished all of evil six years ago? So here's the question. Since Stone Point Church has started, how many people have gone from darkness into light? And if God would have just wiped all the evil off the planet six years ago, how many people here would not have been changed as a result of God's goodness and his patience in the midst of evil and suffering? See, that's a perspective that you have to be reminded of. Second Peter Chapter 3, verse eight, and ten, uh, 8 through 10. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, that one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, when you ask the question, God, why do you allow this and why don't you stop it? The question is, is are you ready for him to stop it? Is your neighbor ready for him to stop it? Is your daughter ready for him to stop it? Because if he stops it all right now, that means there are many that will perish. Which also brings about a large responsibility to us is that if God stops it right now, who is it? that we're going to be accountable for because God asked us to reach them and we chose not to in our own pride, in our own, in the midst of our struggling with our own suffering. The question is, is who did we comfort as God comforted us? What story should we be sharing as a result of God's faithfulness in the midst of our suffering so that other people would see God's goodness in the day of evil and they would ultimately not perish when it comes time. See, God is limiting evil for a time so that he can continue to bring people to him. It doesn't mean that he won't judge it with finality, but he's limiting it. I'll tell you this, he's not just limiting it because you know he's going to ultimately one day get rid of all evil and I mean he's limiting also because he is a good God. Like think about it, because you would say, "Well, why don't he just get rid of evil?" We know why he doesn't because he'd have to get rid of all of us. There wouldn't be anybody on planet Okay, but the second question you just go, okay, well, if he's not going to get rid of everybody, then can't he just like tra- change our personality where we didn't like, like sin? I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? Or hey, what, what if he just took all the alcohol we drink before we get drunk and ultimately get in a car and drive somewhere and he just changed that to Kool-Aid? Wouldn't that be a good, a good thing? Like, I mean, can't God just do that? Like, he can, can he just kind of, and here's the deal. Can he inter- inter- intervene every time there's potentially about evil? Do y'all remember a show came out when I was in high school. It'd tell you uh, how long ago this was, right? 1998. It was called The Truman Show. Um, here, uh, Jim Carrey plays uh, uh, Truman uh, Burbanks. And you remember he, he's in this 
this big old huge sphere, and I mean, they have him protected, and every day he gets up, and it's a great day, and there's just happiness and no evil in the world. But what happens when he realizes that he's duped? What happens when he realizes that he's the puppeteer on the string? He wants out, doesn't he? And the reason he wants out is because he goes, I don't want somebody playing God in my life. I would rather hurt and know it was real than to be happy and know it's fake. And that's exactly what you have if God is a puppeteer on a string. What you have is nothing in your life that's sincere. It's all fake. It's all orchestrated. It's all puppeteered. And you don't want that. You want to be able to make choices. But at the same time as we want to be able to make choices, we also got to deal with there are some people that make really bad choices. But we got to trust that even in the midst of bad choices, that God's limiting it. He's not just limiting it in the sense of his goodness and his patience, but he's limiting it through the church. You and me. Think about all the people that God's called out of darkness into the wonderful light of Jesus. Think about that. Now think about your role in that. If you've been called out of darkness into the wonderful light of Jesus, what are we doing? Are we contributing to the evil and suffering in the world? I mean, like we're claiming in sense to have divine truth and then we continue to claim that God is good and then we just say, you know what, but that allows me to just kind of be entangled in evil? I mean, because ultimately, if God is good and I'm entangled in evil, he's going to make it all right in the end. No, that's not how it works. God is good, and he calls you to be good. Do you understand what's at stake here when you and I profess Christ to forgive us of sin, yet we live in sin? We claim to be a part of all the evil, and we should be good. And he doesn't just limit it through the church, but I'll tell you, he limits it ultimately. And this is the reason I can believe in God is because he limits it himself. And we don't have a God who is uninvolved, but we have one who came through the form of his son and he died at the age of 33. And he died a suffering, evil death at the hands of evil men, though he was innocent in every way. And he knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to identify with us. He knows what it's like and even more than what it's like because oftentimes we bring about some of the stuff in our life because of, if nothing else, our moral sin and the communal acceptance thereof in the world. But he had no sin. There was no deceit found in him. He dealt with evil at the cross. You got that? He punished it forever. And so you can't say God's not loving because why would a good God who created evil send his son in the world to punish evil? That's the most ludicrous question. If God is evil, then why did he even claim to do something about it through the cross? Because God is good. He's benevolent and he's kind. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's ever-present in our time of need. He loves us, he cares for us, and he is good. He is infinitely perfect. He never makes a mistake, and he will one day, finally, and with totality, he will judge all of it. And every wrong will be made right. And every right will be rewarded. And God will ultimately help us to realize that he disarmed the rulers and the authorities, according to Colossians 2.15. 
by triumphing over them and the cross and setting sinful men like you and me free. And so I hope that you realize that even in the midst of evil and suffering, God is using it for his glory and ultimately desires to use much of it for our good in a world where there is darkness, but yet he calls us to be salt and light. And so may we go and may we be salt and light. May we suffer well. May we keep our eyes fixed on the author and the perfecter of our faith. Why? Because he's good and because he understands. And he can be trusted. So let me pray for us, church. God, we thank you for today. We pray, God, that you would use this to stretch our faith and to help us dig in to know more about you. And God, I'm convinced that I could go on this topic for another two hours. But there's so much, even in this time that we had today that's limited that we didn't even get to see about you and who you are and God we realize that we don't comprehend you completely but we also pray God that we would realize this truth that the world we have today is not what you originally created but God is also not the same world that will come and so God we look forward to the day in which you come and you make all things right and you return all things back to the Edenic covenant where all things are made to look like Eden, where there is no sin and there is abundance of goodness and you have provision for us. And Lord, we know that that's called a place called heaven. And we long for that day and for the final banquet feast. But until then, help us, God, to be faithful and to be strong and to rely on you. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. Amen.